Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, democracy under pressure. Most people in the UK would take pride in the fact that whatever your political persuasion, we can take part in free and fair elections. But two new reports suggest that this right isn't always all it seems. The Electoral Commission, the government's own watchdog, has warned that hundreds of thousands of people could be excluded from voting the next time the country goes to the polls because of new laws on voter ID. 4% of those who didn't vote in the local council elections in May told the Commission that ID was an issue for them. And that figure rose for those who were from minority backgrounds, younger voters and people with disabilities. And when we do vote, well, a new report by the Institute for Government, a think tank, concludes that many people feel disempowered, not least because our first-past-the-post system means that many who vote for smaller parties can feel their vote has been wasted. We're going to hear from the Byline Times political editor, Adam Bienkoff, Dr Jess Garland, Director of Research and Policy at the Electoral Reform Society, and Sean Roberts, Director of Campaigns at Unlock Democracy. Before that, just a quick reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which combines the best of our online offerings with content that you can't read anywhere else. So do subscribe if you can. Head over to bylinetimes.com for details of how to subscribe. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you have already subscribed, Thank you. Well, welcome one and all. And Jess, I want to start with you. Just a very quick primer, please, for those who don't know about voter ID. What's the idea and where did it come from? It came in this year with the local elections. So everyone who wanted to vote in the local elections this year had to bring along a particular form of ID. It had to be a form of photographic ID. And this came in with the Elections Act. And the idea is that it's to stop personation fraud. So everyone is now having to change the way that they go to vote. And what we've seen from these reports this week is that it's had a really negative impact on people's participation, which is what I and many other organisations and indeed the Byline Times had been warning about for some time. Why is it so problematic? Well, it starts with the fact that not everyone in the UK who's eligible to vote has the type of ID that they're being asked to present. So the government's drawn up this legislation asking people to bring things like a passport or a driving licence, types of ID that obviously cost people money. And there's lots of people that don't have access to those forms of ID. And on top of that, it's quite a big change. You know, we've all kind of got used to going to vote and giving our address to the people on the desk and then going off to vote and say so the electoral commission has had to let everyone know about it and their report shows that lots of people didn't know that this was what they needed to do so big upheaval and also lots of people not having the id that they're being asked to bring along on the day i'll bring in adam bienkoff byline times political editor in a moment just want to have a listen to this exchange this was adam at a press conference talking to boris johnson when he was prime minister and raising questions about what the impact of voter ID would be on voters. Uh, Adam Bienkov of Business Insider. Prime Minister, you were on record as opposing the last Labour government's plans for compulsory photo ID cards, which you described as a recipe for tyranny and oppression. Why, therefore, are you now planning to bring forward in the Queen's speech legislation which would force all voters to carry photo ID in order to vote? 
And given the fact that there was just a single conviction in the entire country for in-person voter fraud at the last general election, and given that studies show that Labour voters are much less likely to possess photo ID than Conservative voters, what do you say to people who suggest this is merely an attempt to suppress the votes of people who may may not vote for the Conservative Party? Uh, Adam, I would say that was complete nonsense. uh, And uh, what we want to do is to uh, protect democracy, the transparency and the integrity of the electoral process. And I don't think it's unreasonable to ask... uh, first-time voters to uh, produce uh, some evidence of, of identity. Uh, so that's the, uh, that's the reason. OK, everybody, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So, Adam, you asked the question of Boris Johnson. He dismissed your concerns and fairly rapidly wrapped up the press conference as well. But are you taking the Electoral Commission's report as vindication of the concerns that you were raising? Yes, I think it was pretty obvious when plans for voter ID were first announced that the justifications that were being offered by the Prime Minister Boris Johnson at the time didn't really stand up to much scrutiny. We were told that this was about voter fraud. Actually, there's little to no evidence of voter fraud over recent general elections. In fact, at the last general election in 2019, I believe there was one confirmed case of in-person voter fraud. According to the Electoral Commission's report this week, so far this year, there have been just two allegations of in-person voter fraud, none of which led to any further action by police. So it's really a pretty much non-existent problem. There's some issues about postal voter fraud, which is a separate issue, but actual in-person voter fraud has never been a significant problem in the UK. So I had to ask myself, why is this being pushed forward? So then you look at some of the data about who is least likely to hold photographic ID, Those tend to be younger voters, unemployed voters, voters in poorer areas. That was the data understood at the time. And so I put that point to the Prime Minister. And as you heard in the clip, he just dismissed it as nonsense and moved on very quickly. We now have that confirmed by this report today. These are the groups that are most likely to be affected. And given the fact that we know that the actual scale of voter fraud is so small, it's inevitable that we have to suspect that this is an attempt at voter suppression. I put this point just now to Rishi Sunak's spokesman in a briefing after Prime Minister's questions. They essentially ignored the question and insisted that they're happy with the report and that it shows that 97.5% of people were able to vote. Again, that's a fairly misleading statistic. So that's just about people who actually made it into the polling stations. It doesn't take account of people who were stopped at the front or people more importantly, who didn't bother to turn out at all. And that's what the, the report by the Electoral Commission actually focuses on, is that significant numbers of people are put off from go, actually going to the polls. And that could be on a much bigger scale when we get to a general election, where a lot of these more marginalised groups of voters tend to turn out when, when they don't turn out for local elections. Yeah, the Electoral Commission said that 4% of voters found that voter ID was an issue for them, but 3% said it had stopped them from voting. And obviously, you have many fewer people voting at local council elections than you do for a general election. We should be clear that a form of voter ID has been common in Northern Ireland for many years. That was a defence that the Prime Minister's press secretary put to me just now as well, saying that this was something that was backed by Labour in Northern Ireland. There are very different circumstances in Northern Ireland, and there was actually evidence of at least 100 cases of in-person voter fraud in Northern Ireland. That simply has not been the case in England and Wales. And your suspicion, you've written about this for the Byline Times, is that those who might vote for other parties, particularly Labour, would be the people who would be most likely to be deterred. And Jacob Rees-Mogg, 
made yeah. a statement a few months ago that many people would regard as highly revealing. Yes, well, this was along the suspicion, and people, including myself, who were sort of accused of pushing a conspiracy theory. Well, then earlier this year, we had Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was a minister in the government that actually brought this forward in the first place, saying quite openly, yes, this was an attempt to gerrymander the election. He described it as a clever scheme. And he also went on to say that it would probably backfire and it would be more likely to affect conservative voters, elderly voters. The data from this report from the Electoral Commission this week suggests that's not the case. And it actually is much more likely to affect Labour voters than conservative voters. John, the Electoral Commission comes up with a number of recommendations. They are obviously keen that everybody who wants to vote should vote. What needs to be done, in your view, to make sure that we do ensure that everybody has the chance to participate in democracy? Well, the simplest thing to do would actually be to scrap the voter ID system altogether. There was no need for it in the first place. It's a very expensive system and it's now proved to have failed and it's proved to actually have prevented legitimate voters from casting their vote in an election. Um, as we barrel towards a general election where there'll be three or four times as many voters, then we could be heading to a really significant democratic disaster with hundreds of thousands of people denied a vote at a general election. So that would be our first preference. It, it was no need for it in the first place. You could just get rid of it. But even if you want to sort of take a, a more moderate approach to it, well, everyone in the UK, every voter is sent a polling card at the election with their name on it. You could allow people to use that as proof of identification as they go into vote. We think that would be a really simple approach that maintains the security that's there. The recommendations that the Electoral Commission kind of fall a little bit short of that at the moment, but they do say very clearly that looking at the range of IDs that are there is really important. And critically, the, the free voter ID certificate that people could apply for, which more than 2 million people don't have a voter ID, that's the government accepts that number, less than 100,000 people apply for a free voting authority certificate. It's a very complicated process to get one. That scheme has proved now to be a complete failure. And to be honest, as I say, I think the simplest thing of all would be either to abolish altogether or just say, let's just use polling cards as ID. In the clip that we heard from Adam talking to Boris Johnson, reference was made to the fact that the Labour Party was also a supporter of voter ID. So even if the Conservatives are defeated at the next election, there's no guarantee that what you want to see happen will happen. No, there's no guarantee. But I think Labour have acknowledged the problems that voter ID has caused. And various Labour spokespeople have said changes need to be made. And I think the Northern Ireland comparison is a very interesting one and has been used since the start of this. When they introduced voter ID in Northern Ireland, they did not introduce photo ID immediately. They first introduced a much gentler form of voter ID where you could just bring proof of address. Once they did that for a while, then they switched to the photo ID scheme. And to be really clear, when they did that, turnout in Northern Irish elections dropped and didn't recover for many, many years. And that, that experience has been used to justify switching straight to photo ID in the rest of the UK, which just was always going to be a problem in a country where we do not have a mandatory photo ID issued by the government to us. And Jess, there were all these curious anomalies as well. You may better than me, but I seem to remember that older people's bus passes 
were regarded as legitimate photo ID, but young people's bus passes or student passes were not. Absolutely. Yep. One type of voice card and not another. And this is really impacting certain groups in society. And that is actually now coming through in the research we've seen this week, which, as you say, younger people were more likely to have not been able to vote because they turned up without ID and saying you've got to have something that people can do if they turn up on the day and don't have their ID with them because no one in reality is going to be getting the bus back home and then coming back again if they've got to get to school to college to work so this is some of the suggestions which are coming through now from the electoral commission that you've got to have some vouching so voters can attest for another voter if they don't have ID and other options for people one of the things which I found really shocking about this legislation was that It was actually stricter than some of the most strict voter ID states in the US, where most places, if they're asking for a voter ID, give people the option of coming back and or having some sort of vouching scheme. To have a strict photo ID scheme with no other options was always, as Sean said, that was always going to be a problem for all the reasons we've outlined and just seemed so harsh and so disproportionate to the problem, which, as Adam said right at the beginning there, is tiny. The government have said that Part of the reason for this is to get over the perception that there is widespread voter fraud. I'm not sure where that perception comes from. And as Adam has said, postal voting fraud, of which there has been some evidence in the past, not least in my own home city of Birmingham, is very different from fraud at the ballot box. So what do you think is going on, Jess? It's really interesting that the Prime Minister said at PMQs as well, that this thing about perception of fraud. And yet, prior to voter ID being introduced, public confidence in the elections was really high. Not only were the public saying, we think the system works, but electoral administrators were saying that personation is not an issue that they're seeing happening in their polling stations. Recent reports are showing that public confidence remains high, but it hasn't improved. And actually what's happened is lots of people have said we're really concerned about this voter ID scheme and what impact that could have. And we know from all the research that if you raise fraud issues, they can actually damage confidence, particularly where those fraud issues have no grounding. And of course, we've seen where that can lead over the US in recent years. So this is a really dangerous area. When you take the idea of perception of fraud, not based in the facts, then you're going down a really difficult road. And what we've seen today from the reports where the administrators are saying we're heading towards a general election and we're really worried about it. We don't have the resources and this could go really badly wrong. That's where the danger is. And that's where people's view of how well elections are run could really be damaged, particularly because of the introduction of this scheme. And I guess, Sean, this feeds into the Institute for Government report that if people don't feel that they have confidence in the election and if they don't feel confidence that their vote can actually count for something, then ultimately that all plays into the undermining of democracy itself. Well, the state we're in today, one recent poll showed that seven in 10 people do not have confidence in the political system in the UK. You know, we've had bad times before where I think people have been sort of shaken about how well our political system is working. But I think these last few years has really demonstrated to a massive proportion of the population. And this is not something that's party political or anything. If you ask young or old, North or South, Leave or Remainers, Conservatives or Labour, They will say the political system is not working in this country today for the people. And 
I think change has never <laughs> never been closer or higher up in people's agendas. And it's great now that people are now looking in detail at how that change should work, because I think the need for change is now well and truly established. How we change is the next question, and that's what this report gets onto. Yeah, it's very tempting, I think, for people who feel powerless to call for a change in the voting system, proportional representation, rather than first past the post. But there is also criticism, isn't there, of proportional representation, that sometimes it can lead the electoral tail to wag the dog, that minority parties can have disproportionate power. Isn't part of living in a grown-up democracy accepting that there is no such thing as a perfect electoral system that's entirely fair there's no such thing as a perfect system but that can often be used as an excuse to settle for something that is actually a terrible electoral system and if you look at actually what's happened in our politics for the last few years the tail has been wagging the dog just that the tail is inside one of those bigger political parties you do not exclude a broader range of opinions from parliament by having a two-party system. They then infiltrate the two-party system. And both major parties have changed back and forth in many ways over the last few years in quite dramatic ways. Now, the thing about proportional representation is that if we vote in an election, the votes we cast are then matched by the seats that parties are allocated in parliament. And we get a parliament that actually represents the people. And if you look at some of the big issues facing the country today, like climate change and, you know, state of the NHS, there's actually a huge amount of agreement out there amongst the voters about things that need to be done, but they just don't see it reflected in the parliament that they've elected. And the reason they don't see that is the electoral system that warps their votes into this strange kind of outcome awarding power that is completely unearned for the amount of support that it actually has. And certainly if you're a voter for the Greens or previously with UKIP, you can find that your vote is worth very little or even nothing in terms of parliamentary representation, whereas proportional representation would at least ensure that those votes counted for something. Adam Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, previously a supporter of PR, now has beaten a hasty retreat from that position. Yes, no great surprise. I think support for electoral reform tends to be something that is strongest when parties are weakest and have the least chance of getting into government. Once parties get into government, they're in a position where they've already benefited from first past the post and from their perspective, judged that they would not benefit from reforming that system. So it's a bit of a catch-22 situation, unfortunately. You're right to say, though, he has definitely backtracked on his previous position on this People suggested that he was in favour of reform. That's definitely not on the cards. Indeed, his, his spokesperson has said that he is actually opposed to reform. It's not a case of, oh, this is something that we'd like to do, but we can't get around to it. He's actively opposed to it. I think on voter ID, there does seem to be a slight shift in Labour's position. So I think up until now, Labour has said that they're waiting to see and they'll review the policy. In the statement that Labour's shadow democracy minister, Florence Eshalomi, put out last night, she described the policy as discredited, which is much stronger language than we've seen from Labour before. I put that to Keir Starmer's spokesman just now, saying, is the party planning to scrap the policy and scrap voter ID? He wouldn't commit to that, but they said they are committed to reviewing policy potentially before the general election. So it does seem to me that Labour's position on this is shifting, but they're not yet completely opposed to it either. 
and Jess, there are other ways for people to make their voices heard. I'm thinking of institutions like people's assemblies, whereby ordinary members of the public are chosen at random. They may discuss issues that are being discussed in Parliament. They may call in expert witnesses and they may come up with a series of recommendations. Now, those recommendations are not binding, but they are decisions that parliamentarians can pay heed to if they wish. And it's a whole infrastructure that is lacking in our democracy, but which many people feel would be a benefit to our democracy. There's been an enormous growth right across the world, actually, in deliberative and participatory democratic mechanisms. And we've got experience here in the UK in certain areas. But what's so important is that those types of mechanisms aren't an add-on, that they're actually embedded in the structures. But we understand how and what way they are. So where are those decisions going and how will they be taken into account? Because the worst thing you can do is get people to participate and then not listen to them. So there's a, a real long way to go to make sure that those really, really quality citizens' assemblies or deliberative processes then result in change. And part of that is getting representatives to understand their strength and what they can achieve and understanding who's going to make the final decision. And you can leave that with the Citizens' Assembly or you can take it back to policymakers. But they really are growing around the world because people are seeing the benefits. And the more people who experience those, the more democratic citizens you get. And I think that's just positive for democracy across the board. And I'll just actually make the point that Within the Labour Party, there has been a dramatic move over recent years and its attitudes to PR. The trade union movement is now fully behind it. I've just got back from TUC conference where we had a very well attended meeting on PR. The Labour Party membership is overwhelmingly behind PR. This is a very different situation to the 1990s where Labour last came into power. So I don't think we can assume anything about how things will play out the other side of the general election on this, should there be a change of government. Sean, thank you for your time. Sean Roberts from Unlock Democracy. Thank you also to Dr. Jess Garland from the Electoral Reform Society and the Byline Times political editor, Adam Bienkoff. Just a quick reminder that this podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. Please take out a subscription if you can. Head over to bylinetimes.com. This episode was produced by me, Adrian Goldberg, and Harvey White in Birmingham. It is a We Bring Audio production for the Byline Times. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.